Dirt Radio, organic friends of the earth, activism, underground, political action, necessary, wind farms, indigenous struggles, land rights, anti-nuclear, nanotechnology, climate change, coal barons, mining magnates, activists, educating, communities, transforming, communities, mobilizing a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the earth. Friends of the earth. Friends of the earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning. And welcome to Friends of the Earth's Dirt Radio on 3CR. My name's Em Gaither and I'm your host for today. I hope you're having a lovely morning. This show was recorded from my home on Wurundjeri Country as a part of 3CR's COVID-19 station closure. And we are still broadcasting across Wurundjeri and Bunurong lands of the Kulin Nations via 8.55am and right across these stolen lands via 3cr.org.au slash streaming. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging both here and from the lands of which you're listening. Sovereignty has never been ceded. This week is Reconciliation Week. It's a time for us to think deeply about this nation's colonial history, the violence and the dispossession that have, have occurred and the ways forward from here. This week has also seen a horrific display of police violence and brutality in response to the uprising set off by the killing of George Floyd in the USA. Here in so-called Australia, it's creating a moment for us to reflect on our own violent policing systems and the way that black Indigenous people are incarcerated and murdered at the hands of the state. Here at Dirt Radio and Friends of the Earth, we stand in solidarity with First Nations communities fighting against police violence and racism. For this week's show, we'll be playing you some recordings from the Acting Up 45 Years of Resistance history series we ran late last year to celebrate Foe's 45th birthday. On the second episode of the series, we spoke with Anthony Amos about the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings that were held in 1997 and 1998. These conferences aim to bring together Indigenous voices from across many nations and create solidarity from white environmentalists. Up next, we're going to hear a speech from Auntie Pauline Gordon, who spoke at the first conference, and some of Anthony's recollections from the time. I hope you enjoy listening to this, and you can catch all of the Acting Up shows at 3cr.org.au slash acting up. We'll be back after this. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion, and it began... 250 years ago, this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land. Brutally. We might be oppressed but we understand what freedom is and we fight for it every day and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, it's going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR. This is Em, your host for today. 
and on the show we're listening to some audio recorded at the Indigenous Solidarity Gatherings hosted by Friends of the Earth in the late 1990s. Here, one of the organisers, Anthony Amos, explains how the conferences came to be in an interview we did with him last year as part of the Acting Up series. And just a note for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners that the rest of the show may contain the voices of deceased persons. Uh, well, there was a whole host of reasons, but the, the basic idea was for um, non-Indigenous people to hear directly from Indigenous people and hear about the struggles that the Indigenous people have been having on, on country. And uh, the other idea was to open up you know, potential networks where environmentalists could work uh, side by side with in- Indigenous people, and we wanted to um, highlight various issues around the country and... Um, that was it in a in a nutshell, I suppose. And so, what was the political climate like at that time in terms of you know environmental organising and land rights and sovereignty and that sort of thing? Well, I came out of the forest movement, and there was very little stuff going on there really in in Victoria. So, what happened in '94? We organised an Australian Forest Conference. I've got the book in front of me. There's only one copy left in existence, and and that's wow. it. <laughs> And for that conference, we invited um, uh, some Indigenous speakers to speak, and I transcribed the, the conference papers after, after we, we did this event, and I found that the only um, interesting information really was coming from the Indigenous people. I mean, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the uh, uh, non-Indigenous people were, were basically quite boring. They, I mean, um, <laughs> the, uh, the real interest to me was, was what the Indigenous people were we're, we're talking about Robbie Thorpe gave a speech at that conference and it absolutely floored everyone in the, in, in, in the auditorium. And for a lot of forest campaigners, I think that was the first time a lot of them had, ever, had, had even entered, entertained the notion of, of Indigenous rights over, over the forest that, 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 that they were trying to protect. So f- that was in about October 94. And then um, we had an idea in about early 97. Well, why don't we do... Uh, a conference, um, a gathering where we'd invite Indigenous speakers to speak and people that were in solidarity with Indigenous struggles. And we organised that from early 97 and that was um, held, uh, we had an event, North Melbourne Town Hall in, I think it was, I'm rusty on dates now, um, sometime late in 1997. So we had about 40 speakers um, and how we organised that is we basically printed up some posters and then just sent them out in the mail. Yeah. And if we got a bite from people, well, we, we tried to fundraise and, and invite them in to speak. And, uh, yeah, we had a, a, a pretty amazing line-up um, for that conference um, in 97. Mm. Uh, we got burned on that in terms of we lost a lot of money. Um, one of the organisers... Um, had connections in Norton, uh, with Native Americans and we had some Native Americans come out for the event and the cost blew out, um, long story, and we ended up with a $9,000 debt. Right. So, so then we had to go into fundraising to make up the $9,000 debt. And um, then, um, you know, we decided to have another one in in uh, 98. And so that was um, with um, under the guidance of Uncle, Uncle Larry Walsh. Who's, who's stepped in and uh, we had a really crack team of about a dozen of us uh, working out of the Friends of the Earth office there for about uh, a year mm. 
and uh, we met every week and just pulled together this uh, 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 the second gathering, which was held on the banks of the Maribyrnong River um, over there in Footscray, uh, um, and we had a, a a massive tent there, and I think all up we had about six hundred people turn wow. up turn up over. Yeah. Over three days, including, I, I can't recall how many Indigenous speakers, but I, I think it was up to about 50, 50 to 60. Yeah. Uh, Archie Roach and Ruby Hunter did a few benefits for us, um, and they played at the event as well. Um, and, yeah, that was a, a real um, real uh, event. Yeah, sounds like it was a pretty big undertaking, both of those. Well, yeah, I mean, our group of a dozen, um, after we did the event, unfortunately the group imploded. Um, I think the stress of organising it and um, and that was the end of our, our little ISG group. But what we wanted to do was we wanted to get the uh, spirit of what we were trying to do and get it into, um, get other folk groups to um, organise similar events and and. I'll dob them in. Friends of Earth Brisbane said that they'd do it in 2000, but... Um, <laughs> Still waiting. Yeah. yeah uh, they <laughs> could, Brisbane uh, listeners out there, you know, you've it, was, it was a really hard act to emulate. Yeah, I bet. And, and really for the, for the second conference, if we didn't have um, Uncle Larry on board, uh, you know, it could have ended up in all sorts of issues. Mm. But um, we, we sailed through and... Yeah. Um, uh, the first conference was recorded, but the second one was recorded. But I've never, um, we've never got round to uh, airing any of it, so yeah. um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, well, we've got some of the audio from that coming up, but we thought we'd start off with playing some, um, a little bit of a speech from Annie Pauline Gordon, who's passed away, who spoke at the first conference, and she has a pretty amazing um, family history and activism. Did you want to say anything about that speech before uh, we played? Yeah, look, she spoke at the first conference. Um, she was the daughter of, of uh, Uncle Jack, Jack Patton, who was a key organiser uh, throughout New South Wales in the, uh, in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. Um, yeah, no, she, she really was a, a, uh, a force, really, and, she, and her speech was quite amazing. Um, and Annie Pauline came down for the second conference as well, and um, certainly blew a few greenies' minds at the second conference as well. Great. All right. Well, let's hear that now. My father used to be, used to go around and travel around through his country and right from here, right up to the uh, Tweed, up on the north coast, fighting for Aboriginal rights. When he got married, he went up the north coast and married my mother, Selina Avery, and she's a Bundjalung woman. And he said to her, when they was camping on the river bank on the Rocky River, up there on the Clarence, and he said, Celine, and they're walking naked, and that was the way they lived. And it wasn't so very long ago that was the way those people lived, off the land and, and living like that under squalid conditions. And he said to her, Selina, when I go back to Sydney and hitchhike back to Sydney, I'm going to fight, he said, for the rights of Aboriginal people and justice for them. And that was the first time on the Rocky River up there that he dedicated his life for his people. So at any rate, uh, Mum went down to um, La Perouse and uh, he used to send people, Aboriginal people, down to her on the train to take them to eye hospital and doctors and things like that because at that time they didn't have pensions. At that time, actually, we didn't exist until 1967 referendum. And Dad struggled around there and he'd walk around the missions and hitchhike all the way up from from the Murray all the way up through to the Tweed along the coastline 
and out west, as far as out west of Walgett and right out through there and back down through into Queens and into um, uh, Victoria. And he'd turn around there and he'd, he'd uh, wait down on the, on the beaches and uh, uh, on the river banks and that because he wasn't allowed on the reserves and missions to talk to the Aboriginal people there and uh, because they classified him as a, um, a stirrer, stirring people. When they had the Aborigines settle down quietly on the missions and that, well, they couldn't afford my the likes of my father coming along and asking how, how they were treated on the missions and reserves. And they used to sneak down there to the river bank and on the, on the, on the, on the, on the uh, seaside and meet my father there around a campfire they'd build on the, on the sand. And they'd tell him the conditions and what they lived on, what went on on those missions and reserves, reservations. And he'd go and he'd write that back. He'd travel around and get all that information, right through all the reserves and right back down to the Murray, right through Victoria. And he'd write that down. He was the first Aboriginal man to publish a, a book, a magazine, and it was called The Abo Call. And in that book, he turned around and he wrote and connected all the people. He used to sell it to all the people for sixpence a paper. And they used to know and get to know uh, what, how other people, their other people were living on those reserves right across New South Wales. Because at that time there was sort of no, everyone was isolated from everyone else and there was no sort of communication. There was no such thing as television or radio. You had to be very rich to own a radio at that time. It was during the war and the, and the depression, depression years. So I'd like to, um, oh, he was thrown into jail and, and classified as, uh, as a tree, uh, for treason. He was charged with treason. He was thrown into jail time after time after time when the government and the sheriffs used to come along and try and move the Aboriginal people along the river bank and tell them to shift somewhere else, always resettling them and moving them away after they finished using them, cheap labour to open their lands and fence and and uh, look after their, their, their properties and that. And then they'd get rid of them then and try and move them away. But the people refused to leave because it was their traditional land that they were so spiritually affiliated with and they had nowhere else to go. So the police used to come and try and force them and, sh and, and chain them and, and move them on to right, right away out of sight. So my father, he, he fought all that. He fought all about that in that time, day and age. Street CR Community Radio, 855am. My name is Wajilabina and my European given name is Marquet. I was born in the Gangalita tribe in the Gulf of Carpentaria. I sit here in the name of my ancestors and I'm honoured to have been asked to be at this gathering by the organisers. And uh, my sincere thank goes to the indigenous people of Victoria for accepting us and allowing us to be here. It is nice to have our visitors, our indigenous sisters and brothers from overseas, non-indigenous people who are here to learn and to observe, and to my indigenous people uh, that have traveled outside of Victoria. Um, it's, it's a wonderful feeling, and after last night, I just think it's, it's so great that this has happened. Um, I am just a humble servant of my people. Uh, Pauline and Isabel spoke very well and covered a whole lot of ground. 
but I thought I might just say a bit more about what the old people asked me to do when I go to talk, the old people around the campfires. They realise about the system in this country. It's, uh, the legal system in Australia doesn't cater for Indigenous needs. They see land as a commodity to be bought and sold. Our system is a very complex one and Indigenous rights dates back many thousands of years and they think they're giving us rights, they're passing law, legislation for us to get up there and claim land. We already have that right. And uh, the system that sees land as a commodity to be bought and sold, the legal system in this country, of which many of our black people are part of, the so-called leaders of indigenous people in this country, that system imposed on us is an act of genocide. And we have a system that binds us spiritually and religiously to land, sea and creation. And it begins with the ancestral dreaming and is supported by our personal dreaming, the totem. It is so complex and it's very hard to be able to explain it to people. It is above and beyond the comprehension of non-Indigenous people. The system that I'm talking about in our country is not recognised by white Australia, but what they don't realise is that our people have to live by that system every day of their lives in decision-making within the communities, wherever they are, and they find it very, very difficult to... You have to break one law to uphold the other. So you break the Aboriginal law to uphold the white law, you break the white law to uphold the Aboriginal law. And that's the position we find ourselves in every day. Uh, the system in Doomagy with the, white, with the native police, Aboriginal boys working for the police force and within the community, uh, they abide by the system which is so complex but it's governed by a skin grouping system. And there is 16 skin groupings within our clans, within our tribe. And you have to belong. My father is a Bulani, that's his skin grouping. And he has to marry people of the same skin grouping as my mother, who is Yangala. And my skin grouping is Nulyarima, and my brother's skin grouping is Balyarini. But all of the people, I have my own mother, but people of the same skin grouping within our communities and clan, they are all my mothers, from an old lady of 90 to a baby just born. Anyone younger than me, I relate to them as my little mummies. Anybody older? They're my big mummies. There's no young and old. It's big and little. And it's always male and female. 
So when these Aboriginal men work within this community, they have to arrest people who are drunken, disorderly, or breaking the law. And in our law, it says they can't lay hands on their mother or their sisters. And of course, it just doesn't mean the mother that gave birth to them or their sisters within their immediate family, but it means the extended family as well. So these Aboriginal people are breaking the law all of the time, and then they have to live with themselves. They might start work for a week and work for two weeks, and they leave because they can't cope with the situation. Some might work longer, and because they need money to survive, to buy food, they go back and work in the police force, and people don't know why. They come and go, and some of them don't go back because they finish up drunk, lying around in the gutter, absolutely not being able to cope with abiding by two systems. The white man, the white government, the system in this country don't realise the depth of, of what they've caused and the destruction of our people because they don't know what our system's all about. But we have to abide by that system simply because we are bound to it spiritually and religiously. We can't walk away from it. It doesn't matter how many laws the government make or how many systems uh, of this foreign rule they, they impose on us. Every time that happens, they are committing an act of genocide. It's up to us to do something about it. This country boasts about democracy. And as my mother said, Baba, she said, that white man, the democracy, she said, you have to excuse the expression, she said, it's shit. She said, because we know we have to, our rule is governed, we govern our communities by example. We are answerable to the great spirit, to the land and to all creation we, uh, we have responsibilities toward each other and the responsibilities remain from the very time we're of an age of understanding until we leave this scene. Nothing changes it. And it's very difficult that we have to live under this oppressive system and the government and white people don't even bother to ask what it is that we had because we have so much to teach them, and they have so much to learn. This democracy, that system, we had a voting at Dumaji at the weekend for local council. Our people sadly uh, um, affected by alcohol because of the reasons I just explained about the system and how we have to abide by this other system. The local council is bound by that system, by the local council system. And they played against the elders very well. They've learned to play the white man's game. And to get away from the elders running the community, they go around, because it's a numbers game, they pick all the drunks up, and they've been campaigning and saying, if you vote me in, there'll be a canteen in this community within a month. So the same people got in, and it happens every time there's a local election, local council election. And we can't get away from it. We've 
we've gone to the government with the situation and they've said, oh, well, they've been, elect they've been democratically elected, so there's nothing we can do about it. So we watch our people stab one another, sl slash their wrists, hang themselves within the community, children walking around drunk, little children, gambling all hours of the night, hungry, not being able to get up to go to school in the morning because their fathers and mothers are too drunk to attend to them. There are a few people who don't drink, the elders, and there's only about 30 or 40 of those people. The majority of that community need help. They need it from our society, from our elders, and we have to start to do something about it. It's, it's very, very... Uh, it's very sad to see that these people here, they've just given up. There is no hope for those children on Doomagee where I come from. No hope whatsoever, unless something happens very quickly. And it's sad to say that we have black people in organizations for black people that still have the yes boss mentality. Mm. And whatever the boss says, they're right down there doing whatever he wants. Instead of saying, this is the way, th these, this is the people in this country that we're, we um, are fighting for. We're, we're in the same struggle as the people that we serve. But they're selling out. They're selling their souls. They're becoming greedy. They're losing their values. And the values of our system is is a very, very good way. And I know that it'll take a long time to explain the values. It's, uh, it's going to take all day and all night and maybe all week. But I just want to say, with this gathering here, uh, if we've hurt you at all today, it wasn't intentional. Because when we have to talk with each other to find the middle road, to see justice done, we will say things to offend, and I hope none of you take it personally. And I hate to think that you walk out of these doors carrying a load of guilt on your shoulders, because mm. we don't want people carrying guilt. We want healthy people who are thinking straight to stand by us. You are listening to... Dirt Radio, this is M, and we are coming towards the end of our show today. We just heard some audio from Friends of the Earth's ISG conferences in 97 and 98. That was Wajalabina, and before that we heard from Pauline Gordon with an intro from Anthony Amos. Before we go today, there is a big ha event happening at Friends of the Earth on June the 8th that we hope you can join us for digitally. So did you know that polluters want to drill for gas and oil in the coastal waters of southwestern Victoria? The coastline from Port Campbell to the South Australian border is home to a major tourist industry. Income comes from whale watching, surfing and all manner of accommodation, hospitality and service industries which support tourism. These communities are already being hit hard by COVID-19 travel restrictions. Imagining the devastating impacts of a major oil spill on this shoreline. Southern right whales are expected back in the coastal waters of Western Victoria any moment now, where they'll give birth and nurture their calves in the shallower waters. 
We might not be able to flock to the coast to rally just yet, but we can gather online to resist new fossil fuel developments. So to get involved, you can RSVP to join the virtual paddle out action on World Oceans Day, Monday, June 8th at melbournefo.org.au slash stayin underscore paddle out. Or send an email to Premier Dan Andrews in the lead up to World Oceans Day, calling on him to cancel the tenders for offshore gas drilling in the Otway Basin. Offshore gas drilling is bad for climate, bad for marine life and bad for tourism. And you'll find all the details for that on the Melbourne Faux website or on our Facebook page. And I'd just like to acknowledge that these actions are taking place on the lands of the Kiwi, Wurrung and Gunichmara peoples. Sovereignty has never been ceded of these lands. Of course, you can always catch up on our conversations from Dirt Radio on 3cr.org.au slash dirtradio. And if you're looking to connect with more community stories, you can check out 3cr.org.au slash acting up. Listen back to some of our 45 years of campaigning series. That's just about time for today. Thanks so much for joining us on Dirt Radio. Look after yourselves and each other and keep it locked to 3CR for more awesome programming that's been put together remotely while the station is Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter.